Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, hustlers, we know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you. Introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute routing in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by Union Digital Bank a fully digital bank with a mission to empower every Filipino everywhere by providing easy access to digital financial services for consumers and businesses. Union Digital Bank partners with startups to co-create financial products to meet the needs of their customers. Contact Union Digital Bank to explore how they can power your platform with embedded financial services. For more information about Union Digital Bank, please see their website at www.uniondigitalbank.io. Stay updated by following them on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Also brought to you by Paymongo, the payment gateway for business growth. Paymongo allows your business to accept online payments from your customers through Visa, MasterCard, Gcash, GrabPay, Maya, online banking, Buy Now, Pay Later, and many more. All with just one platform. Sign up for free at paymongo.com. And brought to you by Seatcap. SeekCap is a lending platform powered by UBX Philippines. With SeekCap, you can easily apply for a loan from 5,000 pesos up to 1 million pesos from the comfort of your own home nationwide. Visit www.seekcap.ph, sign up, and apply for a loan now. That's www.seekcap.ph. 
Take your business to new heights by seeking capital with SeekCap. So for me, I was like, wait a minute, this is actually it's much easier, I think, to do business in the Philippines vis-a-vis, you know, other Southeast Asian countries, right? Because the currency is, flo- is free-floating uh, and uh, all the government officials, all the documentation are all in English. That makes sort of acclimation quite easy. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Share Podcast. We finally got the guy I've been wanting to get this guy since I think during the pandemic when he was a judge. Or an investor in the final pitch. So shout out John Aguilarium, right? Uh, we're getting the, uh, him on the show, and again, been a big fan because I've been seeing that he's a basketball guy. You know, he like he likes he loves the Warriors. I'm not a Warriors fan. My favorite current player literally just got traded today, Damian Lillard <laughs> from from the Blazers to the Bucks. But without further ado, let's welcome to the show the CEO. Of Coins VH, Mr. Wei Joe. Welcome to the show, Wei. Hey, hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, again, big fan of you. Um, that sounds a little creepy, but not the type of fan <laughs> that would stalk you or stand you. But again, super, super exciting because I've had, again, uh, the opportunity to have Ron Hose in 2019 as one of our very first episodes here when he sold coins. Mm-hmm. But since 2019 to 2023, there's so many things that happened already. I want to see what the state of coins is under your amazing leadership. But without further ado, first, I need to ask you the million-dollar question. Way, what's your hustle? Uh, my hustle is uh, putting deals together. <laughs> nice. I think uh, for me, uh, for the first sort of, I would say, like 10 or 15 years, I'm like more of a professional. But then for the last sort of like, you know, 10 years. I've been more so on the deal side. And then uh, and then Coins was one of the, you know, Coins is the last deal, last major deal that I kind of put together and uh, sort of put myself as, uh, we purchased Coins from uh, from Gojek uh, last year. And then uh, one of the things is that, hey, I think I can run this business. <laughs> so nice. I put myself as, uh, as a CEO of Coins and I've been running it for the last year and a half or so. That is amazing. And again, I want to understand how you've been able to do that and why you purchased it from Gojek after they mm-hmm. bought it from from Ron, but I need you to buckle up real quick. Because before we talk about your current hustle, mm-hmm. we need to go all the way back and discover your origin story. Because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. <laughs> all right. Again, um, what, what I remember during the final pitch is you're a Bay Area guy, right? At one point, or no? No, no, very different, very different. All right, all right. So I want to understand the hustle, the origin story, the the young way. How, what was your very first hustles, and what was the your exposure to hustling when you were young? Yeah, so I think my first hustle was actually integrating to America. Oh <laughs> so, wow! Yeah, so I, I was I was born in China, uh, Nanjing, okay. and then uh, and then uh, and I was ten and a half. I actually moved to the U.S. Okay. And uh, although, like a lot of people, confusing me from being from California, but I'm actually not. I actually grew up in the in the American South. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. What? So, yeah, 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 yeah. So imagine sort Man. of like 
Yeah, imagine like in 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 the in the in the early '90s, you know, like this, it's like scrawny little like. Chinese. I do not hear the southern twang. Yeah. Where is it? Okay, you gotta do a couple of shots, and I'll come back, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, so I moved to so I grew up in Birmingham. I did middle school and high school there. So I grew up pretty southern. So kind of like you know, I like a lot of the redneck stuff. So if you, if you, if you wherever I go, I always try to figure out where the best barbecue is. And then, oh my um, god! And uh, and then uh, now is like the best time of the year because uh, it's football season. So right, absolutely. You know, uh, <laughs> and, uh, Bama uh, is always one of one of them. Um, it's been a, it's been a good uh, yeah. It's been a good 10, 15 years to be uh to be a Crimson Tide fan. Yep, Crimson yeah. Tide. There you go. Yeah. And then it it gets pretty intense, but. Also, Alabama yeah. is again from the South. It is yeah. uh, for if you don't know a bit of U.S. history, that's one of the most uh, the center of, of of a lot of discrimination back then. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 MAGA country now, but you know, exactly. it's, uh, Th- that's it's it. Trump so, country. It's Trump country. Exactly. So, so yeah. again, as an Asian, right? Yeah. I mean, being part of minority, I want to understand how did you grow up in that uh, environment where again it's redneck country at the moment. You know, and the, I didn't speak a lick of English when I got there too. So it oh took my me, god! But then the adjustment period was uh, it was like it was very different. I think from like the the immigrants, sort of the recent immigrants, whereas I think things are more connected. Like back then, it's not like I had a choice. It's like, hey, you're gonna stay here for a couple of years, and then you're gonna go back or whatever. Hey, you're here. You're stuck here. Right. <laughs> like assimilate or assimilate <laughs> or get annihilated. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. Right. So, what was the hustle to get acclimated? Right. Because you said you didn't speak a lick, lick of English and, you know, uh, you can easily get bullied uh, just because of that. How did you get to to be, you know, uh, part of that ecosystem and, you know, carve out your own path? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think um, like, I, like it's hard, hard to like remember, but just look at like, you know, I, I think uh, I like I've always been like pretty strong academically. So like I think having good, great kind of a little bit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, definitely not part of the jock group, right? You know, <laughs> so, so I kind of had like my crew a little bit, even mm-hmm. early. And then I think like uh, I like I like a lot of sports. I think in the US, if you can just talk about sports, even just oh, friends. like I remember like I was a huge, uh, you know, other than football, I was a huge uh, baseball fan growing up too. which team? Alabama doesn't have a team in. Baseball. No, 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 it did not. There's uh, Atlanta Braves and then the Braves. Good, I think in the oh 90s. So my good. God, like, are you a Chipper Jones fan too? Uh, yeah, Chipper Jones. Holy uh, shit, I'm a Chipper Jones fan. Switchy, the switcher. Oh, I love it. In the earlier day, um, like it had a lot of good pictures. Tom Lavin, John Smoltz, Greg Maddox. Yep. Right? So it's just like, so for me at least, you know, I've been, you know, like liking sports and, uh, you know, and I played basketball, you know, just, dis- you know, despite my <laughs> height, you know, but, but just sort of just like being around the neighborhood, having people sort of like, you know, just, so for me, it was, it, was, it wasn't that hard from my, what I remember. Cause like, you know, just play basketball after school in the, in the, you know, in backyards with friends. And then, um, and then at school, you know, the only thing that was funny about me was my name, right? I never got like an English, like, you know, like American name, like a right. David. Did it change it up? No, no. I just kept we, which is, you know, like, it, for me, it became like kind of almost like who I am. So it kind of like, you know, like I'm not changing my name. That's my name. I don't need to give right. myself, you know, I don't need to give myself an English name. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so it was kind of like, I was like, you know, that was like the little bit rebellious, I guess. Um, yeah. All right. Perfect. So. After this, okay, you you already learned how to acclimate. How did it become serious? So uh, obviously, again, I'm just reading this out loud, right? So from Bama, you are a Harvard, you're a Harvard graduate. Like holy uh-huh. shit! How did how hard is it 
to get to Harvard back then, it's still hard now, and it's never gotten easier. Yeah. And what was the grind in Harvard? I think I, I mean, I, I was pretty active in high school. So I think that definitely helped with the, uh, you know, the application process. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, if you want to ask me what's my next hustle, it's probably just getting into Harvard um, from Alabama. And then for me, like I've always, uh, I think that was when sort of like, you know, a lot of, um, I would say like my contrarian philosophy or different, I think the big word is differentiation um, okay. comes out. So like I'd rather... You know, like in Alabama, I, I wouldn't like, you know, in my school and stuff, I, you know, it's like a, it's competitive, but it's, you know, not as competitive. A lot of the other, you know, high schools academically yeah. and other stuff. So, so it's easier. I think it was easier for, for a guy like me who's kind of driven even back then to stand out a lot more. I think that definitely helped during the process. And then going into Harvard, I would say it was a pretty big shock, right? I mean, a lot of people met me like, oh my God, you're the first Asian we met with a Southern accent. It was a lot stronger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah, I want to hear it. I swear, I'm gonna have drinks with y'all, and I want to. I want to hear that southern. No, no, no. And and uh, what was really funny is that, um, <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was it was a bit of a culture shock for me. It was I mean, not not as like an Asian, but actually as like a southern person going to school in the right. north. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that, that was imagine that was a big culture shock in terms oh of the weather, in terms of the you know like attitude in terms mm. of. And also, and also, I think in terms of just like, I would say awareness, right? Because I think, you know, like it's, it's a pretty, you know, grew up in a small town in Alabama, right? Going, going up to Boston, it's kind of like a big city. And then people there are, are much more, I would say, more mature in terms of the ways of the world, in terms of eating out, in terms of like yeah. going out, in terms of how they dress and all that other stuff. So I think like for me, it was, uh, I, I really enjoyed my four years at Harvard. I think I did crew for four years. So I was actually uh, on the on the crew team for four years. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. yeah. So so that was actually probably the best best part of my college experience. Right. Now, but I want to under, understand one thing, right? So in every founder that I've had here, right, mm-hmm. um, there's always two things that I want to find out because it will kind of dictate where you'll end up and what career path you've done. So a lot of the Asian Americans that I've had on the show, right, have mm-hmm. always had a chip on their shoulder. Right. They, they wanted to get somewhere because the norm is that, you know, the odds are against you. Right. I want to understand what that uh, drive was. What was that North Star early on pre-Harvard or during Harvard? What did you want to achieve? And second, what were the first skill stacks you were stacking up on each, upon each other, you know, that you were starting to accumulate very early on in your career? Yeah. Um, so I think for me, uh, I was very determined to get out of the South. Like the school that I really wanted to go to was actually I, 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 a Stanford. I don't know why, but just sort of like had kind of like an like I don't know. But then, but then it, it was too east. far from my parents. I was supposed to go west. <laughs> no, like once you're even Asian, right? Like once you get into Harvard, like you're gonna go to Harvard, right? Like, yeah, like, right. <laughs> like your parents will never forgive you for the rest of your life. Like you know, they're just only you. you had no Harvard to go there, right? So, um, so I ended up, you know, I, you know, proud to say, like I got into Stanford as well, but then I ended up choosing Harvard. But I think the the one of the skills that I kind of built early on was just like um, I mean, I don't even remember or not, but I, like it was just doing interviews. Being interviewed, like, like, you know, like, cause you're applying for stuff in high school, right? And even in college, you're applying for jobs, you're applying for internships, you're applying yep. for, you know, scholarships, fellowships. As you remember, even during the college application process and all that stuff, I was just doing a lot of interviews mm-hmm. and then basically tell, telling them who you are and why you're awesome and why you deserve to do this. Why you That's deserve- why you sound like a natural here. <laughs> this is right. And, and, and I think, I think just like, what was it like 10,000 hours? Right. So, right. So, so, so I just did a lot. And I think that contributed to sort of like, you know, even later in life Um, now it's like, you know, now I have to impress upon my investors. I have to pro- right. impress upon my customers. I have to impress upon sort of my, um just 
my banks, traders. So just like you, you're constantly sort of have to make the person you're talking to comfortable. And then at the same time, have your personality, have your sort of like charisma go through and then build that trust during, you know, whether it's a five minute conversation or it's a 15 minute conversation. That is amazing. So for just sort of for tips for those people that, you know, I want to understand that. How did you develop your game in doing interviews? Because again, at at the end of the day, in interviews or any type of conversation, the key there is, you know, Mm -hmm. getting off of the right foot, building rapport Mm -hmm. very quickly, and then everything just goes downhill from that. But what was your style? In getting those interviews and then getting the, the the impression again of a good impression from the, those people that are interviewing you. Yeah, I think for me back then, you know, like especially in the U.S., I think less so once I moved to Asia, but especially back then in the U.S., first of all, you know, my like the first thing that jumps out of uh, out of uh, across is that you know is my name, right? Sort of like there's some differentiation in that they 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 you see my name on a piece of paper, you expect a Chinese immigrant kid, right, or <laughs> or whatever, right? And then, and then you expect, you know, like, so you have to sort of sometimes like, you know, for me, I don't know, I was kind of very aware of that. And then mm-hmm. um, you sort of have to like play into some of the biases. Like, oh, this guy's probably really good at math. And I was like, yeah, I'm on the math team. Right? <laughs> 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 and, then, and then you're like, you know, like this guy probably speaks Chinese. Yeah, I definitely speak Chinese. <laughs> You know, um, and they are like, "Oh my gosh, your English is really good." And it's like, "Yeah, because I grew up here." You know, <laughs> like, "Where are you from?" I'm from I'm from Alabama. Like, "Where you know where are you from?" I'm like, "From Alabama." You know, <laughs> I probably know about like you know, and any of it. And I think just finding like finding commonality with pe- the person. Right. Like sometimes, like like in the U.S., I think in the U.S., like sports is a big part of the conversation. Yeah, because like because I think. You know, like 90% of the interviews that you have aren't really sort of like skill set interviews because like they wouldn't have you in the room if they didn't like your skill set already. So like 90% of the interviews just basically just fit, right? Mm-hmm. Is like, is this guy a team player? You know, is this person like, you know, trustworthy? Um, can this person sort of like, you know, execute and can you get along, right? Like, do I like having him next to my, do I like this kid next to me, next to me in a cubicle, you know, like. If I'm doing a business trip and I do, I want to take him along and, you know, like, you know, so, so for me, it's just sort of like, you know, uh, finding commonalities is definitely important. And then like in the U S like a big part of that, I think is sports. And then me being a huge sports fan, you know, I can talk about any, you know, any of the major sports in the U S uh, any pair. Even hockey, huh? Okay. That's cool. <laughs> a little bit, a little right. bit, right. Okay. A little bit. Right. And then can talk about sort of like, you know, a lot of players. Cause like, you know, like I watched a lot of TV like that. That's, you know, and the ESPN was like a big part of that. So, so that just yep. no, just having that for for some reason, I have a pretty good memory in terms of remembering random facts about you know sports facts. Absolutely, I think that that helped a lot into sort of the the at least the culture in the US. And and then I think in in in, in Asia it was, it was a little bit it was very different because in Asia obviously right. the culture is different, right? You have like many different cultures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, even you know, when I was working in China, you know, the dialect is different depending on what right. province you go to or a city you go to. So, but we'll we'll, we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, but okay. Before we took our first break, so after Harvard, obviously you, you mm-hmm. killed it, you aced that thing. But mm-hmm. now the next thing I see in your in your LinkedIn is you went the banking route. You know, you were, mm-hmm. you went to Goldman Sachs as an analyst yeah. and an associate. So, what was that grind like? So, you mentioned mm-hmm. that your deal. I mean, your your hustle is deep. Is you make deals, right? Mm-hmm. Is this the foundation of where that deal making and wheeling and dealing uh, stuff that you're doing uh, when you worked in Goldman Sachs? What was that experience like? Like for me, like for Goldman, it was uh, it was really fun. I actually had a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah, it was not 
like uh, I enjoyed sort of like the like uh, the rush of like, you know, like working together with a bunch of people like in really hard and then getting stuff done. Right. And then nice. um, so for me, that experience was just more about like, was, like for me, it was like even an upgrade, I think, from college and that, you know, college you have people who are like who are slackers or whatever. But like once you're in that environment at Goldman, like everybody's an overachiever. <laughs> it's like, wow. it's like, it, it just is like from up and down the, the even the secretaries are up to overachievers right even the people who like even like the tea lady are overachievers like it's just like everybody in their field it, but doesn't matter what your profession is everybody is there and expect excellent and, and then you expected to deliver excellence there every single day so for me that was the training sort of that i got or the lesson that i kind of learned and to a certain degree you know that was the first time where we were doing things um, with significant stakes at the table, right? Like, wow. you know, I was a, I was an M and A advisor for for about Ooh. two uh, M and A and IPO advisor for two years, and then these were not small deals, right? Like, um, these are deals like in hundreds of millions of dollar range, and then you know we were playing a role, or I was helping you know my senior bankers in putting together you know pitch books. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that was a grind uh, in terms of like you know editing you know some of the contracts, and then you know and then advising. Or doing a lot of financial modeling um, with the clients, you know, to to hash through their uh, their deals. So definitely, yeah. I mean, from a business deal perspective, it was a very good uh, starting point. Um, mm-hmm. It was very good training ground for me to sort of understand the uh, the actually business side of deal making. Nice. So, but I want to zero in on one thing before we take our first break. All right, when you're in, you're surrounded by overachievers, right? It's like being in an all star team. You're forced to level up. Like you cannot, you know, uh, like uh, you can't drop the uh, ball. Nah, you can't drop the you ball. Cannot, you're gonna get cut by the team, right? So yeah. it, it's it's just, it's just a high highly competitive. But if you you have that gene in you, you're gonna really thrive. But I want to understand the soft skills that mm-hmm. you you acquired during that that stint, because again, mm-hmm. if you're if that's the type of environment, a lot of stuff that you're gonna learn in in that environment for sure are gonna be indelible. Mm-hmm. What are those soft skills that you you've learned? Because you already knew how to you know get get through the door and whatnot. But yeah. when you're in there and like. Just the fact that you're already part part of all these deals, you know, there, yeah. there's there's skills that you acquire that are going to be. Yeah, I mean, like one of the one of the lessons I learned is like uh, my ass kissing skills are definitely not as good as my peers, <laughs> <laughs> and that is absolutely required when you're a junior person on any job. Yes. Right? So uh, man, you gotta eat a lot of that. Mm. Yeah, you gotta no, you, just, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? If you start at mm. the bottom and then you're you're working for a big organization. Um, then you got to You got to do that. And then I was pretty bad at it. Okay. Yeah. And, and I don't, and I think I still am right. That's just one of those things where like, you can't be good in all things. Right. Like, so for right. me, like I kind of realized early that, um, this is a good place for me, but I like, like I ain't going to be spending next 20 years of my life here. So that, that realization, like, I think it hit, came up on me pretty early in terms of like, uh, so, so I actually had two different roles. So even uh, as like a banker and I'm an advisor, I only did that for about two years. And then I moved to sort of the, the principal investment side in terms of like, cause I wanted to get out of the office more. Like that's yeah. the other thing I kind of realized, like I, I was best if I can just like not put my, not, I was not set up, like glue my butt, like, you know, yeah. in front of a computer, in front of a, like six different computer screens, like, <laughs> like that's, that's not what I want to do. Right. So, so I, and then, and the, at that point was in China was starting to open up and there's a lot more activities in China. I think both on, the, just on every single sector. So that was when I went and moved over to sort of, uh, I was like, I, I want to be a part of that. Like, I don't know what that is, but I want to be a part of that. And I wanted to go to China more. 
Uh, and amazing. guess what? I speak Chinese as well. And there was a yeah, and then that that was a became a huge you know competitive advantage for me um, within Goldman as as someone you know because they wanted to invest in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a here's a guy that they've trained for a couple of years that that fits the culture, right? Because I think oh yeah, the other soft skill that was really really important, and then that was kind of like impressed upon everybody uh, when you join Goldman is like they brainwash you. Uh, in terms Ooh, of like saying this you drank the, the Kool-Aid. Oh, oh heck yeah, of course. There's like the culture. You got like the culture. And then I think that's something you have to learn. You're like it, we're, we're the it's like Top Gun, right? You're 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 here with the best. You want to be the best. If you don't want to be the best, then you know get the get heck the out. out. <laughs> go, go work at Morgan Stanley or JP Morgan, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you throw so, that shade. No, no, you have a little bit of arrogance, right? Which mm. people, but then but then at the same time, but I think, but then it's also quite united in terms so it's not a there's less of an infighting culture because of like you know you're you're here you're like you're the best already where are you going to go from here right so so people are very you know like treasure what you have and then and then and then the other part of the culture i think is just that you know you got to treat people well so like like, yeah i think a lot of investment banks a lot of the horror stories that you basically have abusive like you know senior guys that basically you know just crap uh, on junior bankers, right? I, I did not have that experience. I think everyone there was basically, you know, fair and reasonable, and they treated you like human beings. And I think that was important too. That is amazing. All right, now let's take our first break, and when we come back, we will now discuss how what the experience of uh, Wei in China and how that led to co-founding Grinder and, of course, mm-hmm. Coins. But let's talk about that more after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Hey Hustlers, have you struggled to find authentic branded products in the Philippines online and offline? I get it, and I have good news for you Hustlers, because Shoppable Business has got you covered. Shoppable Business is a Filipino-owned marketplace founded right here in the Philippines with a vision to digitize the procurement process, making authentic branded products accessible to everyone. Shoppable Business's goal is to make e-commerce better, build trust, and be more accessible for you. Offering the best prices, faster shipping, top-notch selection, and unmatched product authenticity all at your fingertips. And I personally would vouch for them because we were able to build and assemble our studio in Podcast Network Asia just because of Shoppable. And without them, we would have taken forever to assemble that studio. Because of them, we have a world-class podcast studio. 
So discover exclusive deals at Shoppable Business today and enjoy 5,000 pesos off with a minimum of 50,000 pesos purchase and 30-day credit terms for buyers. Sellers can also start for free and earn zero commissions on their first 500,000 pesos in sales. So just go to shoppable.ph and mention that you came from HustleShare so you can get the discount. Again, just go to shoppable.ph. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate your growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back from the break. We are still with Wei Joe again, who just told us the, the, the grind that he did in Harvard and Bama, all the way to Goldman Sachs. But again, you went to China, right? Uh, at okay. this point. And I remember one of the things that really fascinated me during the late 2000s and the early 2010s was just the Olympics. And this mm-hmm. was right about the time what you went back home. And mm-hmm. that was just like the coming out party that China is here. And China is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, a real global superpower that just showed to the world what they're capable of. But inside, yeah. in the business sector, that's what really what pushed everything for China at that point after, you know, uh, to call it the decade or the the the, the that period where it was the, the humiliation, mm-hmm. right? This is their ultimate bounce back mm-hmm. to the world. What was it like when you were there? When you were uh, the director of strategic and financial planning in Xiaoping, in ABAX, and again all the way back to Xiaoping? I hope I am not butchering the name. I I. I so that that was like when I think when the internet sort of really came back in a big way. I think like the mid two thousand, like the mid. Like 2005, 2000, 2004, 2005, 2006, where you basically had uh, started having like uh, Chinese internet companies like going public uh, in the US. Like you had the search engine Baidu, you had the travel site C Trip, you had like wow. the gaming company. Yeah. Like for me, you know, like I grew up with, I grew I was in college when the first sort of like internet wave hit, right? Like during like the Yahoo days and then, the, and then even Google, you know, was for, I was like early users on Google, early users of Facebook. So I kind of like really saw the, the, the future that the internet would bring. And then I thought like, Hey, why don't I go join an internet company in China? Like, why don't I go join a startup? And then I got introduced to the CEO of Xiaoping, uh, who is still like my first sort of like, I would say mentor and like, you know, now my, my lifelong long friend, uh, I joined in to basically to help him to grow Jiaoping, which at that time was one of the top job search websites. And then I, I spent total about four years there, ended up as a CFO there. So that was like my first sort of like CFO CFO job. Imagine sort of like this 28, 29-year-old kid joining like a you know, startup. It was, it was very exciting. 
I mean, so I, and then I moved. So I moved to Beijing from Hong Kong in 2005, uh, 2006. I did not. It was nice. The infrastructure. Let's just say the infrastructure were not fully there. Okay. You have to line, yeah, I remember like you have to line up at banks to like pay your electricity bill and oh, pay, man. yeah, like you have to like uh charge up your cell phone by buying these like hundred RMB like scratch off cars to charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the infrastructure not there, and then the city, the Beijing city was quite dirty back then because there's just like they're still building, right? The stuff that you see now were built during that time, so there's like cranes and construction everywhere. Yep, yep. Uh, but I re- like remember how I said I like getting out into the wild. Like for me, I really liked it. Like, uh, I, like I, I met some of my sort of like, and then at that point, there was like a pretty big wave of like expats, like moving to China as well, like chasing the, we call it like the China dream. Uh, and and a lot of them worked in the tech space and a lot of them sort of were, like, happened to be in, because Beijing was kind of like the hub for, for tech right? Uh, and, 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 and VC and private equity. And, uh, and for me, you know, I really liked it. I ended up settling down there. Um, worked I worked there for three different companies, um, all uh, as CFOs. Uh, and then in 2010, 2011, around then, I think 2010, for my second company, Charm Communications, I actually helped to take them public. So, so wow. I, became, I was like 2010. I was like 30, 31 years old, and I was a CFO of a Nasdaq list, Nasdaq listed like Chinese internet media company. That is uh, amazing. That was, that was that was cool. I got to go to like so. I remember how I was a banker before, but now I'm like the client, you know. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy that like they're you know flying. You know we're flying. Around, yeah, we're flying around the world in like two weeks, doing roadshows, meeting investors, uh, and then went to Nasdaq and like you know was part of the team that pushed the button. You know, and mm-hmm. we had our own stock traded on Nasdaq. So that was like a huge job. That that, that for me was like that that was like uh, a mini top, I think. And then um. You know, I, um, you know, speaking of Olympics, I was actually in Beijing in the Olympics and, uh, you know, I had a car there. So like just having, it's like having the Olympics in your backyard. Like I basically, oh my God. you board to park, you know, <laughs> right. you know, so I was like, you know, park and then you're like five minutes and you're, in a, you're at an Olympic event. Right. Right. Uh, you know, I saw like, I think like the hundred meter dash, Usain Bolt, uh, saw the dream Ooh. team. Got like a Darren Williams signature. Went to like three Dream Team games. Are that you was, kidding me? Yeah. No, that was like uh, when China had Yao Ming. So like, yeah. so like the Yao Ming Spain game versus like the Casal brothers. Right. So, right. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was a big. Uh, it was like, yeah, you're right. It, it was like a big party. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then and then China, I think, and then China also escaped like the Great Financial Crisis. The financial crisis, uh, 2008 financial crisis, are uh, quite well. Yeah. They they were quite sheltered. So, um, yeah, so I, so I think, um, we, we were pretty, I was pretty lucky to have sort of, um, um, be there. And then, um, you know, and then for me, um, even at, a, uh, like first, I think that was the first time where like, I helped to scale companies because like mm-hmm. Jiaoping, when I joined, it was less than a hundred people, uh, but wow. when I left over 2000 people and covering, I think Oof. like almost like 20 cities in China. Um, uh, and then I really sort of helped to grow the business and then hire teams and then like manage people. Uh, like real stuff, not like, you know, not like, you know, building Excel models. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. But I want to zero in on this. Um, okay. Being a CFO is already hard. Right? It doesn't matter what size, mm-hmm. you know, being in charge of a company's finances is always comes with the biggest responsibility, probably even bigger one than what the CEO is. All right. Because you, you're the one who really makes sure that we, there's enough cash in the bank, whether it's a, it's a bull run or a, or a bear, bear, bear economy. Right. Yep. Yep. But two things I want to find out. I want to, can you describe for those people who are just super naive and don't know what a grind of a CFO is like? And also, there's another layer to this. You're not just a CFO of a random, random private little startup. 
Mm-hmm. You went public. So if you are public, yep. there's now governance and there's a lot of scrutiny because all of your, your books are, are, are available for everyone to look at, especially mm-hmm. if they're trading your, your stock. So can you just describe what that grind was like? Yeah, I, I think for me, um, the, it, was, um, it, was, it was it was actually quite challenging because like for me, I'm not an accounting background person. Like I'm not an accountant. Okay. Right. right. I'm I'm more of a uh, I'm more of a finance person, more of a capital markets person, and then more of a um like I would say like an investment person. I think for me, what was really important then is like in each of the places that I was, whether it was Jiaoping or it was Charm or later it was Local Joy, um, I always had like a senior accountant on my team who is actually from sort of like a PwC or a, like a big four accounting you know, Ernst Young kind of like a background. Yeah. And that really supported me uh, on the uh, on the accounting side of the business. Um, but you know, that being said, like I was, uh, I was actually a very quick learner, like a CFO at a startup vis-a-vis like a public company vis-a-vis sort of like, you're, you're basically like a jack of all trades just because, um, like one of the things about China back then is that not like this where like you've had like 20, 30 years or 40 years of just corporate history where, you know, there are many CFOs in the market. There've already been tech companies, you know, mm-hmm. they've already been, you know, other type of companies where you can actually hire and recruit out of. You have to remember China at that time, like we're the first wave of companies going public in the US. So there's actually very, almost like you can count the number of people that are actually, you know, public company CF, public internet company CFOs in China at that point. Mm-hmm. And then we all kind of know each other as well. Right. So, so sort of like, so for, so for us, it's almost like we have like a very good community of supporting each other uh, in terms of like, you know, both socially and in terms of professionally, because we're all then dealing with founder CEOs for the first time. Who didn't who are who other than just sort of like you know growing the business had this like massive culture barrier of basically communicating what their business is doing, how they're growing, and how the market they're in is very different. Um, you know, communicating all of that, I think, to American investors and global investors. Um, so for me, um, I felt like my role was maximized then, uh, at bridge, right? Like, you know, like once you're a public company CFO, like you know. Part of your job is accounting and then financial management. Part of it is um, uh, uh, investment. And then part of that is actually investor communication and basically, you know, help your stock, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, help it in bad times or good times. You have good numbers this quarter. You have bad numbers this quarter. You have to be able to communicate that to the investors uh, and what your long-term growth strategy is. And then, and then people are always curious about China because China, I think, to people that don't live there, it's kind of like a block, like a block, like a you know, like a black box. And then, so, so sort of like a lot of that is just communicating to to, to investors, to Western investors, sort of like what the heck is going on. Uh, then again, sort of like you know, my, my my communication skills definitely changed both from sort of like internal management to actually international. So I was like from speaking Chinese for like, you know, four or five years uh, and living in Beijing and working in China, I was actually started speaking English again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right. Well, you still had the twang uh, yeah. when you needed it. All right. But that's amazing. And I want to now zoom in, right? So after uh, the Chinese grind, right? You went all the way back again. You were there for a good over a decade more or, yep. less, or at least a decade. Yeah, from 2005 to 2006. And then in 2016, uh, I left my uh, the, the mobile gaming company that I was at and I was actually able to raise about initially about $90 million to buy uh, 60% of Grindr. Uh, so that was in 20. Yeah. And then, uh, right. and then I actually moved, uh, moved my family and I, we moved from Beijing back to LA for about two and a half years. Okay. So that's, this is where, where it really gets interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Cause again, you, by this point, you're already a master of deal making, right? So two mm-hmm. things I want to know. 
right? Why did you want to purchase uh, that big chunk of Grinder? And number two, again, people don't understand that in business, the ones that really become successful are able to amass funds to invest somewhere. It doesn't have to be their own money, right? So two things that that, that can uh, I want to find out there is why did you yep. want a piece of Grinder, and how did you get that that deal done to acquire that that big chunk? Yeah. So um, I think. I had been doing investing, um, I think, in my role as CFO within sort of uh, Jiaoping and uh, Charm and then also um, uh, a Local Joy, right? Mm-hmm. And doing a lot of smaller investments. But then sort of at this point, I think, you know, there was a an arbitrage that I saw in place where I think Chinese tech companies um, that are listed in China are valued significantly higher vis-a-vis tech companies that are listed or traded in the U.S., uh, and I think that at that point, well, I think there was a lot of you know hot money in China looking for deals, and then um, and then they basically saw you know as a collective there were probably you know there were pretty good deals in the U.S. I think so, and then one of the deals that came to um to my table uh, was actually Grinder. Um, Grinder was actually founded by uh, by uh, an entrepreneur back I think pretty early, like in the early days of iPhone when iPhone came out when they had geo geo track when they had geolocation uh, functionality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was when Grinder was founded. It was basically geo, it was a geo based uh, gay dating app. I'm not gay myself, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, but I had a lot of friends who were, and I kind of knew the popularity of Grinder sort of like even pretty early. And I didn't know that you know they never the founder you know power to him he never took any outside funding. It was actually a wow. He bootstrapped it. He bootstrapped. Oh my god! It was one hundred percent owned by this one single entrepreneur, uh, wow. with, with like you know like a 20, 30 people team. And the company was uh, at that point, you know, was doing like thirty million dollars, thirty forty million dollars of thirty forty million dollars of revenue and making about fifteen million dollars of profit on an annual. Yeah, but right, you're like, how much is that business worth? I think I think I think it should be worth a couple hundred million dollars, right? But he was actually selling it, um, I think, for only about $150 million. So 10 times sort of like uh, EV EBITDA. I was like, oh that's my God. pretty cheap, right? Because I think because I think it had market dominance. It's one of those uh, dating is one of the things where like if you reach scale, then everybody's going to use it. Uh, and I kind of and I felt, felt like I was pretty early in terms of sort of like seeing the culture trend. Because um, I think like gay marriage had just been sort of legalized, I think, in right. the U.S. And it was starting to get legalized in different parts. Uh, and like I said, I had a lot of like really close some of my close friends again. I was like, wait a minute, this is a this is a movement that's not going to stop, right? This is this is something that's going to become more and more mainstream. Right. Um, you know, traditional bankers and PEs didn't take that view. So when they were trying, when Joel was trying to sell the company, uh, he was trying to sell it to Match.com. He was trying to get private equity and invest in it. Nobody bit. Ooh. Like he did not get anybody to to, to invest. Uh, until like this guy shows up at the table and be like, I'll invest. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was like, what the heck is this like random guy in China know about, you know, like who's not even gay know about Grindr? I was like, well, I know business and I know Grindr is a very good business, right? It's recurring, nice. but it had a lot of shortcomings, right? Because it was self-funded. So so there was actually quite underinvested from a technology perspective, uh, quite underinvested from a product perspective. They're very proud. I think it was like, oh, uh, we have like 98% uptime. I'm like, that's terrible because that means 2% of your time, the app crashes. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> but they're very happy. Like, yeah, it was 98%. I'm like, no, dude, you got like, to be like 99.99. You can't have your app crash like 2% of the time, right? Like, right, right. So I saw that as a, I saw that as like a very good turnaround story. Mm. Uh, and it was only available in English. And then their Android version wasn't that good. So I was like, well, 
if we can get this app released in Asia and like localized and released in Asia, they could have a huge market here. Absolutely. Yeah. So, 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 so the opportunity was like, you know, maybe we can bring this app, you know, uh, expand this app back in Asia and then get a better tech team in there to basically, you know, upgrade uh, the tech and then, you know, make the product better for users. And that was sort of like the investment thesis for mm-hmm. grind. Then, um, yeah. And then I was able to raise about 90 something million dollars uh, to buy 60%. What? Uh, yeah. So, so the, the initial valuation, I think it was like 140 ish. Uh, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a very good deal in 2016, but part of that, my commitment to the investor is that I would go to the U.S. and then, you know, physically be on the ground and then managing this business from a day-to-day perspective. For me, I also saw an opportunity then to basically, you know, looking at other deals uh, in the U.S. with a partner of mine who stayed in China to basically help fundraise for some of those deals. So I was actually in the U.S. pretty actively looking at not just Grinder but sort of like other deals as well, mm-hmm. uh, including, including as like this was my dream then, including. I was uh, one of the tycoons that uh, that 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 I that that um that was uh, that I knew. I actually helped him to look at basketball teams as well. So, Are you kidding yeah. me? Wow, <laughs> NBA teams, yeah. Man, this is gonna be your uh, Balmer moment. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just. I'm just. Uh, I'm, just uh, I'm just like. I did not have the money. I, I don't. You're gonna money. do that. No, yeah. <laughs> give me time. Give me time. Give me time. <laughs> that is amazing. But okay, couple things. Uh, with, with this super amazing uh, thing. So, okay. So obviously you, you saw the potential of Grindr, right? Mm-hmm. But how did you convince the right investors? Because they they know where you're going to put their money, right? Uh, and why mm-hmm. you had to go. Of course, the numbers say it, it's really good. You see the opportunity. You're contrarian by default. Nobody sees it in plain sight. Everybody, This deal probably went to everybody's table and everybody passed, right? But how did you get mm-hmm. the right investors to help you back this company and purchase 60%? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, the, from an investor perspective, you know, they were that they were a listed uh, internet company in China, so they they obviously had ample financing and access to financing, and then they were trading at like you know for them it was like a multiple arbitrage. They're trading at like 30, 40 times multiple, right? And they're buying control of a company that has that's trading at ten times. So they're basically wow. picking up on the earnings, and then basically it was like a valuation arbitrage. Um, between China listed companies, VC, right, sort of like right. US. And then for Grindr, it was just sort of like, you know, they, he saw like the, the good thing is about these Chinese entrepreneurs is that they're very tech savvy. So they basically, when they see problems, they don't see problems. They see actually potential upside and they can go in and actually fix. Um, I think that's kind of the mentality that I built at that time. And then for Grindr, like, you know, went in there, we basically brought in, um, you know, new CTO um, who's from Facebook. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, I went in there. We completely restructure the company from a management, uh, from a uh, from a talent perspective. Right, that is amazing. And again, Grinders grind uh, is still what it is now. Again, it is. Um, it's the top. Yeah, it's the top uh, gating app in the world right now. Yeah. You know yeah. how I found out my very first startup um, was a nightlife app. Again, I, I ran it from 2009 to 2016 here in in in, in Manila. Right, I got people on the guest list to get so they can party. A lot of my um, employees back then were gay. And this is all they talk about during our their, their guys like oh look at my grinder but I'm like what is grinder right because I know Tinder and all this stuff but the grinder is where they get their games I'm like all right do what you got to do just just if we, but when when we need to work you got to work uh, we need to grind that's it so that's that's amazing again it, it's it's uh you've done something amazing when it becomes a verb right yeah, when the yeah. word becomes a verb right no it's it's, like, it's a culture phenomenon I think like um, yeah. It's one of those things where like and it's part of the it's part of the it's part of like the dating culture for gays or for LGBTQ people grow for LGBTQ like growing up. And then for me, it was um it was like another reverse culture shock actually moving back to the US. Cause you remember, like at this point, I actually never worked in the US. 
Mm. I, uh, the real job I've had are actually in Hong Kong and in Beijing. So for me, it was yeah. like going back to the U.S. and then and then sort of like managing an office of people who are kind of like dis like I would say, you know, feeling disfran disenfranchised, um, just growing up. And then for them, Grinder was like their safe place. Yeah. In terms of like you know, it was like a it was like a it was like a little like a it was like a little utopia for like LGBTQ plus because it wasn't like in twenty even in 2016, 17, 18, I would say the the popular the 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 pop culture level uh, or the cultural acceptance of the LGBTQ is not as pervasive as it is today in the U.S. Nope. So I think you know like when I went in, I was like, oh great, uh, you know like Google and Facebook they're big on supporting Pride. Like let's partner with them, but like we couldn't get our uh, we couldn't get our ads running as part of the Google ad network or as part of the Facebook um, audience network uh, because we did not pass their family value test. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, because like because because uh, one of the funny things is like it's actually a pretty funny anecdote is that so for gr for Grinder like you know in in sort of preference we have like top bottom or don't care. Right, and then for that, for 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 the for Google and Facebook, that turned out to be, uh, and then also you have like you know like uh, single, you know not single, married, married but available. Mm -hmm. So that those two things, one they deem sort of top and bottom as like sex too sexual, <laughs> and then yeah, by having married but available, uh, they deem that as like violating their family value policies. So because wow. of, of like initial profiles that you have to fill out when you're signing up for Grinder. Um, we couldn't, they deemed us as a, uh, as a, as a, uh, not as a dating app, but as like, you know, not a good app. So they mm. couldn't, couldn't run our ads, uh, on Google and we couldn't run, we couldn't get ads running on, uh, on Facebook as well. So, wow. uh, so we could only run our ads through like, like one of the networks that Twitter owns. <laughs> wow. But that, despite so, that, just look at the traction you guys were able to get. That's amazing. Uh -huh. Yeah. And despite that, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, the business grew, I think the business grew about four or five times. Uh, under, under my uh, under sort of my 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 my, uh, my management, yeah. and then uh, yeah. But the, the funny thing is, is uh, then we then then moving into like 2018, 19, we actually ran into sort of like U.S. China relation issues. I think that's when U.S. China relation issues started to sour, mm. and then uh, we were actually looked into by um, by CFIUS, okay. which is uh, called the uh, Council for International Investment in the U.S. Okay. Uh, for national security reasons, I mean, I can't can't talk about too much here, but basically, yeah, a lot of coverage at that point about sort of like you know Chinese investors having or Chinese Chinese having access to data, sensitive data about Americans, right? right. And then, uh, and then, uh, and then having Chinese investors or money uh, into Grinder was uh, was quite controversial. So, okay. uh, so we ended up uh, selling that company uh, to uh, in twenty twenty. Oh, who did you sell it to? Sorry, I wasn't able to. Uh, it's, just, it's just a group of investors. Yeah. Got it. All right. It sounds good. Now, at this point, this is what triggered for you to then go to. Yeah. To so so that, that was when I triggered. That was when I triggered that, you know, my wife and I sort of like, we kind of wanted to move back to Asia because okay. we liked our, like, we, we, we had more friends back here. The network was stronger. And then uh, mm -hmm. that in 2018 was when I saw uh, Binance launched. Um, so one of the, one of the projects that I was an angel investor in, instead of like. CZ. Like, uh, they're like, oh, we're doing an IEO or ICO, and I was like, what the mm -hmm. heck is an ICO? And then, uh, and they're like, go sign up, open a open a Binance account, and then well, you get tokens on there, and you can sell it. And I was like, all right. So I went on Binance, <laughs> I it, gave them my address, they mm -hmm. dropped the tokens there, and I sold it, and bam, I got like ten thousand dollars in my Binance account. And I was like, what? 
whoa, this is so cool. Did I just make money? Like how the like so how like the first experience of like using Binance, I was like, oh my gosh, did that trade go through? Because you know, I tried like, trade stocks before, but you know, it's like it's not like you don't see it, like you know, like you, have uh, to go you don't see that spike. Mm-hmm. You know, you get you don't go through a broker, right? You don't see the order book directly, right? Like somebody else places that order on the exchange for you, right? Yeah. Whereas this one, you as a as a user, you you place the order directly into an order book. Somebody else takes your takes takes that, and then yeah. you're done, right? And then you can withdraw your money anytime you want. So I actually right. went down sort of like a crypto rabbit hole, and then I looked at as like, what is this Binance thing? And next thing I know, like, wait a minute, I know the founders, I know Hasizi, and I know Hui uh, yep. from I'm in Beijing when they were mm-hmm. at, uh, when they were at OKCoin. Okay uh, almost joined them as a, as a CFO then back in like in like thir- 2013 or 2014. Wow. So um, so I had known them. So I, you know, I had known them as friends, but that's when I sort of like sent a message, "Hey guys, uh, looking to hire." <laughs> wow. So, so this was this was May 2018. Yeah. Right. So again, you stayed there for a couple of years, but just breeze mm-hmm. through this until I, I want to find out what sure. led you to 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 purchase coins. Yeah. So, you know, so I, I, was, I was at Binance for about three years uh, as CFO, back to sort of mm-hmm. the CFO role. Uh, and then uh, and then I basically did a lot of deals. I did a lot of the major investments when I was there, you know, built a pretty significant portfolio. And one of the things I was looking at, I was actually looking at regulated licensed businesses. And then, mm-hmm. uh, so I kind of know this space quite well. I have contacts uh, in this space, uh, you know, all around the world, um, in Latin America, South Asia, North Asia, Europe, Africa. So sort of know, know the space quite well and i basically uh after i left finance um gojack um you know through contacts uh, i had no well i knew that when i was at finance right uh gojack i put, put uh coins for sale i think they wanted to exit philippine oh. fully you know in, in preparing for their ipo in indonesia they wanted right, to right. Divest, divest out of thailand divest out of the philippines and sort of because you know they did not they were not able to get market access i think in the philippines or thailand so they basically went back to focus on indonesia Right, Got and then it. they were for IPO, and then mm-hmm. um, selling coins was part of that sort of divestment um, process. And then um, I had known the broker um, that was actually doing the sale, mm. um, and uh, and you know we put in a bid, and then uh, luckily I had enough friends and resources uh, in the uh, uh, in, in the private equity world that you know one of them was was, was uh, agreeable to work with me to basically take down this um, deal together. That is amazing. Uh, this was uh, 2020, late 2021 and then early 2022. All right. Um, before we take our last break, I want to understand. why. What did you, again, is this another grinder moment where you see, oh my God, they, 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 this company is amazing. I can run this. I can take this to the whole to a whole nother level. Again, uh, you, coins is coins. And again, uh, Gojek already purchased it from Ron Hose, right? But what what did you see at from um, with coins when you looked at it mm-hmm. so w- when i saw coins i think i, I kind of sort of see the future of cryptos you know have, having worked at binance for about three plus years and then i sort of having seen how the organization the business sort of scale massively it's probably like the fastest growing startup in the history of the world yeah from both a user and a sort of a revenue perspective i kind of saw the possibilities of crypto and the possibilities of an exchange and the positive benefits that it can bring i think to the world in terms of facilitating the movement of money but I also saw sort of like um, the other side of the coin, which is basically you got to be regulated. Like we we don't we don't live in like like was it the movement of information, right? Which was sort of what brought us internet, right? And then the movement of goods, right? Which has brought us e-commerce, 
And then ne- the next big wave of disruption is going to be com- is going to come into the w- movement of money, yeah. right? But money is not like you know iPhones, right? Money is not like videos, right? Money is a regulated activity. It is very important, critical, and every country regulates money, right? Yeah. If you want to get into the business of moving money, you got to have a license. Um, right. And and I think um, and what I really liked about coins, I think two two main reasons. One is fully licensed. One of the first licensed uh, crypto asset exchanges, uh, virtual asset exchanges in the Philippines, but it also has uh, an e-money license, so you can actually act as an e-wallet. So for me, yeah, like I'm getting an Alipay and I'm getting a Binance all in one in the Philippines. That's awesome, right? So yep. I didn't know I didn't know Gcash was so dominant, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but but it didn't become dominant until sort of like post pandemic, right? Like it had that rise because of the pandemic. And as a, but at the end of the day, I saw mobile payments right as an industry taking off in the Philippines. Uh, and then thirdly, it also has an FX remittance. So then it goes back to sort of like the unique way of the Philippines. Philippines like is not a small country, 100 million plus people. Nope. It's the 15th most populous country in the world, second mm-hmm. biggest in Asia, in Southeast Asia. And then also the fourth biggest remittance taking country in the world, taking nope. you know, $30, 40000000000 billion a year. And, um, you know, it's the country, the country actually culturally, fit, you know, trends very American. So it's actually very easy, I think, for people of Western background to do business and to live in the Philippines. So for me, I was like, wait a minute, this is actually, it's much easier, I think, to do business in the Philippines vis-a-vis, you know, other Southeast Asian countries, right? Because the currency is is free floating uh, and uh, all the government officials, all the documentation are all in English, right? Right. So I think that that, that makes sort of acclimation quite easy. So so one is, I think, licensing, like global trend and licensing. uh, And two, I think Philippines as a whole, you know, even when I visited there, I felt a lot of like, I felt a lot of the energy that I had felt, especially walking around BCG at like, you know, 1 a.m. or 12 midnight on the weekend. You basically, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm back in like Shanghai, Pudong, like in like the early 2000s. Sort of mm-hmm. has that kind of feel to it. So I feel like I see a lot of potential in the Philippines uh, that I had sort of had seen or felt in China, from like early days of China, because there's still a lot of constructions going on. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of young people as well. And then the young people are very positive in general about, you know, the worldview and about the future, which is, you can't say that, you know, for a lot of the other parts of the world. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so I think, so I think, so again, I definitely saw an, uh, they undervalued on business. Um, and I also see a business that is just, if, if we execute right, I also sort of, that's sort of the first big bucket. The second big bucket is that, uh, I, I want to basically take what we build in the Philippines uh, and then move that to the rest of the world, right? Which is kind of what the step two of sort of the growth of coins. Because um, along with coins.ph, we also got a license in Thailand as part of the deal. Oh. Uh, yeah, there's a coins.co.th that okay. was launched around the same time as coins.ph. So it is also a licensed um, crypto exchange. And um, But you know, when we bought it, it was only, it was this funny part, it was uh, only selling Bitcoin on on uh it only has a bitcoin it's only had one token as a bitcoin and it was only on ios wow <laughs> it was only on apple phones so um so, so i was like wait a minute there's a lot of potential there uh yeah. even thailand could be like a big upside potential uh and, and the philippines you know what like you know i think most people in the philippines that you know bought their first bitcoin and ethereum on coins yep actually quite uh it was quite uh as a well quite well-known brand yeah uh, Philippines. I think until sort of like Axie summer in 2021, where I think Binance market share really grew in the Philippines, Coins was like the go-to app for all crypto transactions. But I think, but I think because of the you know the slow movement of the company or the lack of movement of the company uh, mm-hmm. under uh, under Gojek, Gojek 
they they didn't they didn't really embrace crypto. They wanted to go the payment route. They wanted to turn mm-hmm. it into like a payment app competing with uh, the Gcash and Maya. But they didn't have any boots on the ground. They did their ride sharing business didn't take off. Right. So um so they weren't able to get any attract traction. I think for for their um for their payment app, uh, and they kind of missed sense. the boat on the last wave of crypto adoption in the Philippines in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think but but you know but you know I think I think we I want to position and position that coins. Uh, we'll catch the next wave of crypto adoption, which I think is coming um, starting next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that same time, um, we basically have a lot of really cool products that we've been building that we want to release gradually as we get permission from our regulators. That is amazing. That's what I want to talk about when we uh, come back from our last break. And we will talk about you know what's up next and then how what, what are the challenges you had to overcome when you technically uh, took on co- coins uh, full on. We'll talk about that more after the break. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again, and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprouts Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes, all the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll in HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. 2024 hey Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. And we're back from the break. We are still with Weijo then. He told us why he purchased coins and what's in store for all of us. But before we go back, I just want to give a shout out again to our premium community supporters. Uh, Migo Gonzalez, Gab Abbott, and of course, Angelo Lee of Sarisuki, who's been continuously helping us. And again, 
watch out. We have a brand new daily podcast that we're launching uh, already. Or by this by this time, it's already launched. It's called The Daily Scrum. It's basically five minutes of the best tech and startup news straight up in your alley. So do follow it already. It's The Daily Scrum. Asian startup and tech news every day brought to you by the Hustle Share team. Again, Wei, thanks so much for letting us know again how you were able to get coins. But again, it's all fine and dandy after you you do that. But what were the early challenges that you had to overcome when you then took on uh, uh, being CEO of coins when you when you bought it? Yeah, so when we bought it in 2022, oh my gosh, it was... Uh... It wasn't in anything company specific. It was all like geopolitical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, uh, well, the company uh, from its from its uh, from its origin, I think our first uh, CTO or the original CTO of the company were uh, at that time were uh, were uh, a Russian, right? Uh, living living I think in Singapore, or the Philippines. But then he had built like a team of engineers. That were mostly Russian, and then a lot of them were in Russia. And you remember what happened in February of 2022? Yep, Ukraine. There you go. A war started, and then uh, we had like about 30. You know, we, like we couldn't we couldn't even pay them anymore because oh my god, banking rails were turned off. Yeah, and uh, and then those guys were scared of getting drafted and having to go to war. Oh no! <laughs> right, because these are young, young, you know. Yeah. Young, young seniors, right? <laughs> Living across different parts of different parts of Russia, so so that was like bucket, like the geopolitical challenge. And bucket two, um, we uh, we I had a small, we had a small team in China, or we're trying to build a small team in Shanghai because I think I had a lot of contacts, obviously, from my experience there. Right, and then we wanted to sort of like you know uh, add you know product uh, and and tech people, but then as soon as we started hiring people uh, in Shanghai or in, in, in China, um, China started going on COVID lockdown. Oh my god! <laughs> so people were stuck in their home; they couldn't leave their home for like a month or two. Yeah, oh, so so, no. so so we couldn't even like people we couldn't even see each other. Like we could just physically like challenge in terms of like right. you know. For me, I was pretty lucky because I was able to actually you know because in China I was actually uh, I was living in Singapore, so I was actually able to go to Philippines. <laughs> uh, and then I've actually I finished uh, I you know took my family there. We actually physically lived there okay. for almost like four or five months from June, July, August, September. Uh, and then for me, it was really important then just sort of like get to know the people, uh, meet my regulators. And then I had to like, the biggest challenge I had to do is actually assess my talent, right? Because yes. like, you imagine everybody's been working from home for almost two, years. you know, like you build a lot of really bad habits. When you Absolutely. Work from home. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Right. And, uh, and then for me, it's just like, wait a minute, like who's working and who's not working. Right. Like, what are you guys doing every day? Right. Mm. And then, and, um, so for me, one of the biggest challenges is actually just people. Is like, um, wow. you know, figure out, you know, what's the talent? What's what's my talent bench like? You know, is my blah blah blah? Oh, is my VP of what doing what he or she is supposed to be doing? Is she leading her team? Like, do people on her team or his his team know what they're doing every day? Right. So I think so I think a lot of that is actually just sort of like a mentality. If you haven't remember, sort of like I think Ron sold the business in nineteen. Yep. And then he stepped down as CEO in 2020, I think mean, late yeah. 2020, early 2020. And he just went surfing after that. He just surfs every day. There you go. <laughs> and then once the sort of the CEO leaves, they didn't really, they, Gojek had an interim CEO, but he never even been to the Philippines. Oh my uh, God. And he left, uh, he, he left that, he, he sort of left Gojek and used that to sort of pivot into another job at Coinbase. 
So Hassan is actually now the head of Coinbase Southeast Asia. But, okay. you know, and then they then basically like next man up, they promoted a, a CFO mm. at that point who's actually physically living in Toronto for like last four years to be the new CEO. What? Uh, in the six? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they just, it just had like, so it just like, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't, it, for me, it just felt like loosely organized group of people rather than sort of like a company. Right. Yeah. So for me, it was like it's really important then for like, hey, let's just get everybody who's on the ground to show up to work every day. If you can't show up every day, show up once a day. If you can't show up once a day, show up once a week or <laughs> whatever. Right. Yeah. If, you can't show up, if you can't show up like so and then, you know, and then but the thing is is that the Orkidi, the Otiga's office is like pretty crappy. People are like, I don't want to go work at this site. <laughs> you know? oh. Traffic's bad. The pandemic is still around, you know, yeah. I don't want to mask. And then transportation is kind of bad. So, so it took a while, I think, sort of to have that culture shift. So for me, the biggest challenge is like, you know, less, less so I think on the product and all the other stuff is more so just be like, do I have the right team? So I think I spent almost, as I spent a significant amount of time initially, you know, living in the Philippines, like making contacts, talking to people. That's why I went on the, like the show to just be like, Hey guys, we here. I'm here. Coins, mm. you know, uh, you know, if you were interested in coins and talk to me. So just sort of like sort of like almost like reinserting re- reinserting coins, I think, into yeah. sort of like the um into the sort of like the mental mind into the mind share of of the consumer, uh of the crypto crowd or of the whatever crowd, just re- yeah. reintroducing ourselves, I think, to the community and basically saying, Hey, we're here to build. Uh, we we hear we hear your complaints just because I think uh, even on the uh, what's really funny is even on the um, just because I think didn't have clear leadership for about a year and a half right it was kind of crazy like users like complaints weren't replied to for like two days oh uh, people were restricted like you know like uh, people were restricted from trading just because they deposited more money than they were supposed to. Uh, their accounts are locked. There's just a lot of like, you know, and I was like, it's okay to solve that problem one by one, but if I didn't have the right people in place, you know, that, it's a that's a clusterfuck. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, so it was uh, it was quite chaotic. And you had the right. war, you had the COVID lockdowns, you had the people still scared about the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Right? I, when, when I go to the Philippines, I had to like fill out like this long vaccination history. And then, oh like, my God. Like in lines, people were still scared. Everybody was, people were still wearing like, you know, bodysuit traveling, right? And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. oh, man. <laughs> All right, but I want to understand it just again, in every type of, again, uh, uh, situation that's chaotic like this, mm-hmm. sometimes all it takes is one to two right moves that you made in order mm-hmm. to, and again, if you're, you're trying to scout who's on your team, who are you going to go to war with, right? It, it and if you don't know who they are, it's gonna feel it's gonna feel like Tropic Thunder a little bit, you know. <laughs> Go to a war, <laughs> a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of uh, uh, like a a group of dysfunctional group. But how were you able to write the ship? Because at the end of the day, it all starts with people. In any type of company, if you're if the standard you operated in is Harvard and Goldman Sachs, you want to build your own A team, right? How are you able to then? carved out uh, those ones who are probably not a fit anymore and bring your guys in so you can dominate again. Um, yeah. Um, I, I think this is where I got pretty lucky because I think um, at that point, there were some former colleagues of mine that uh, kind of had left finance. Mm. Um, so my president, David, um, he was uh, he was responsible for a VP of fiat. Uh, nice. But he had left finance, I think, second half of 2021. 
So uh, I was pretty lucky. I was able to sort of bring him in on board um, around March of, of 2020, So nice. he kind of helped me a lot in terms of, so while I was sort of like, you know, outside running around talking and meeting people, he was kind of the guy that was helping me to hold the fort down. And then uh, in terms of like integration uh, and, and everything. And then also, I think we had, a, you know, like and we, had, we had a pretty good HR uh, in-house and a pretty Always. good, mm-hmm. yeah, we had a pretty good HR in Joanna and sort of, she helped us to sort of with a lot of the migration. And then, yes. you know, we were, and then for the, to dealing with the, you know, it's just, you just deal with these issues. Issues come up one by one. We're actually able to relocate about 30 or 40 of our engineers uh, from Russia to Manila. Wow. Uh, yeah. So like, you know, so we contributed to seeing more Russians in BGC. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, we actually relocated about I think thirty or forty people to Manila. Um, oh my God! Uh, wow. I think physical safe providing physical safety. I think to your employees are very important. Right? Absolutely. A lot of them actually took up on the offer. Some of them actually even brought uh, their family over here. And then, that's um, amazing. And, and I think you know we just sort of like you know like you just have to grind it out. Like you, so, sometimes you just have to. You, there's no shortcut. There's no formula you literally just have to go to work every day put your best face on and just talk through what the issues are if your issues are people then start hiring like if the people if you try to push people to work harder and they aren't willing to work harder you just have to let them go so we actually had a pretty big turnover at the company in 2020 especially end of 2022 Mm -hmm. sort of after i've been there for a while we actually um had a pretty big we actually had some layoffs in the business in 2022 end of 2022 uh, and uh, and a lot of people left um, just mm-hmm. because I think they weren't used to sort of the type of culture that um, I try to instill, which is basically you got to work hard, you got to produce um, because, uh, you know, we're here to build something really amazing. And right. then you want a part of it because I have a ton of experience in what I'm, in what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably one of the most seasoned and uh, knowledgeable and experienced executives in the crypto industry globally. Absolutely. And I'm not, that's, a, that's, not, that's a humble brag. Right. Like if you want to brag brag, I can brag brag, but that's a humble brag. Right? <laughs> like, like I know what like we know like, like we've built businesses, we've built success, like not just within finance and within crypto, but in other aspects of internet and finance as well. Yep. Right. And we see we see a, a ton of market potential in the Philippines. And then we think we can build something that's very unique. Right. That's actually like a uniquely homegrown company here in the Philippines. And we and then if you are a young person, if you're a like not even if you're just an executive or whatever and then you want to get trained right way right with like people with national background and 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 not just like because one 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 thing that i kind of noticed about a lot of i would nothing about young people like junior people but more about executives people you know five ten years working experience in the philippines uh, especially those that have worked at multinationals uh, they've been trained by that international company as a cog so they like all they are, even though they've worked at, you know, name a company like JP Morgan or mm. Express or Citibank, even if they've worked there for like 10 years or 15 years, right? they're just a, they're still just a call. Like they know this one narrow space quite well, and mm-hmm. they know how to manage people within that narrow space, but right. they have no perspective in terms of like what the business is. Right. But like what sort of like what your broader skill set is. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I think, and the multinationals sort of manage their business that way. They don't want you to have perspective. They want you to be a senior manager, a director, and then a VP yep. of this line, right? And then you're responsible for this line, but then you're, then, then your career options are very limited in terms right. of tech. 
For me, I actually found people that have worked for local banks and local financial institutions to be much more broad in their skill set. Um, but that problem is, is that they haven't seen things from, they haven't seen the other side of the coin per se, right? They, they only see what I can do, what my business world is, is here in Manila or here in the Philippines or whatever, you know, city or island you're at, but they have, they don't have a sort of a bigger perspective. So, so sort of like, so for me, I think with coins, you get both, you get sort of basically, you know, skill set focus on things mm-hmm. with finance, within FinTech. I think we, we, we're a FinTech company. We're not just a company within fintech um but at the same time we give you a global perspective because we're building yeah. just sort of a, a starting point of a sort of this global business that we're building right so so i think that's something that i don't see a oh and, and you know to be honest i haven't really seen the philippines i think i've seen startups domestically in the philippines focusing on a filipino audience and that's it and i've also seen startups from other parts of the world, Singapore, like Grab actually, or uh, or Lazada or, or mm. Shopee into the Philippines, and then just basically copy pasting what they're doing in other regions into the Philippines. Yeah. Uh, I haven't really seen anybody sort of coming to the Philippines, taking sort of using the Philippine, um, you know, building the model here and then copying, pasting, and then replicating that model in other parts of the region or the world. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do here with coins. Because coins, um, if you remember, it's the it's kind of like the only it's the only business that I've seen in the in the fintech crypto space where you basically have a payment app, a crypto exchange, and an FX remittance business all sort of sit within one app. app. Right. I haven't seen that. Coinbase is just a crypto exchange app, right? Like Binance doesn't do fiat payments. Like I can't, I can't, you know, like with QRPH, you can actually scan coins and make payments mm-hmm. anywhere you want, right? And you can do that with both with our down the road, I think the next product, instead of other than using fiat, you can also use crypto to pay, right? Wow. And, right. So, so I think crypto exchanges don't do that. Like, and I haven't like if you look at sort of like a Venmo in the U.S. or a Cash App, you can only buy a limited number of tokens, right? You don't yeah. have your order book exchange in there. You're basically buying it from a broker again, and mm-hmm. you can't custody it yourself. You can't move it, right? That right. goes against sort of like the whole uh, thesis of crypto, which is like you own it, you can move it anytime you want, anywhere you want. Right. So you can do that all within the coins app. Like even Alipay in China, you can only do fiat. You can't do crypto. Right. right? And that's true. So I think for us, we're actually, you know, merging all of that together. And then that user experience that we're building, mm-hmm. right, is actually pioneering. Like, like, you know, and that's then we're doing that here in the Philippines first. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so so and then once we get that going, then uh, we can actually would like to you know license pending move that replicating that in other parts of the world that is amazing and then that's what i want to find out so obviously last year while you were going through this i also noticed that you're really aggressive in getting that word out and how did you turn that corner right so you had to overcome the internal you know um you had to get build your a team the, the way you the culture that you like to operate in right you know you like to surround, surround yourself with a team people and whatnot but uh how did you turn that corner and start building again towards the direction that you see, which is utopian. Um, I mean, I, I, I think like from a, um, I, I like, like one thing people have to understand, like I remember what I said before is like, I think crypto and blockchain is about facilitating, facilitating the movement of money. Yeah. Right. Whereas like, you know, internet actually is like the movement of um, information, right. And e-commerce about the movement of physical goods. Right. right, and then now we're basically at the next iteration. Is basically, you know, we have all of this tech technology infrastructure built up, mm-hmm. right? 
um, now we can actually move value on top of that, right? Like the way money moves right now is like, I joke around, is like making a long distance call in the 1980s. Right. It's, it's like, it's like you call operator, like go to a bank, the right. operator calls an operator in another country, and then that right. operator makes that other call. That's basically how money moves around the world right now. You go to a physical bank, right? right? That's your operator. That operator communicate, you know, you fill out a form, whatever, and then, and then they charge you, you know, you don't, you don't. 10, five, whatever, whatever the heck they want to charge you because you need to move, send that money overseas, right. right? And then I think blockchain really changed that. It's just, it's just that, you know, how do you build that network? And at the same time, like that's just even, that's just one use case that I like right. to make, right? The other use case is that if you're a startup, then you can basically raise capital on blockchain, right? Before, yes. and you had to, I make this joke, it was like, you have to move to Silicon Valley or you have to go to Beijing or you have to go to London or these major corporate money centers to be able to raise to meet, right? But now, if you're running a startup anywhere in the world, um, you can actually raise money any, from anywhere else in the world, right? Via, via sort of smart contracts, via tokens. That's an mm -hmm. amazing technology. And people don't really see that because then if the best talent's not leaving their home country to build mm -hmm. a business, they're going to build businesses that are native to their country or to their region. Right. And I think that, that's, that, that's when sort of technology itself really starts becoming technology services and products becoming really local uh, and, and the ecosystem and the local ecosystem starts because you can fundraise globally for even, you know, for the project you're building at home. You don't have to leave, you know, think of all the people that have left where they're from to move to Silicon Valley to build their business, right? Like I, you don't need to do that anymore. Right. And we've seen a lot of successful case studies, right? Like Binance is one example, right? Like CZ raised $15 million in an IE ICO for BNB, and then he's never had to do any fundraising, right? That's yeah. probably one of the biggest success stories in the history of the world. Right. From, from, and he one raised, and done. Right. And sometimes all you need is one of these successful case studies. And same for Ethereum, right? Like where are they based? Everywhere. Right. 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 And the same for a, for a lot of these other tokens and stuff. So I think, yeah, yes, like, you know, we're, and that's what I'm saying was so early in this, mm -hmm. um, in, in this sort of adoption phase, mm -hmm. um, for crypto, for digital assets, uh, that, um, that I'm really excited about. And I want coins to help to put Philippines at the forefront of that. Absolutely. And you guys are primed for that. Now, again, you're talking about the future. What's up next? Whatever you can share now that you're, that's going to be out of the bag soon. What are you guys trying to build and what, what, what are the things that the uh, Filipinos and the world should look out for? I think we should look for coins becoming your everyday using usage app mm. rather than like we, 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 want, we want to be, you know, your, um, your mobile wallet, not just your crypto wallet. We want to be your fiat wallet as well. We want you to be able to use coins uh, and earn from and earn um from using coins instead of just sort of um yeah like for example we came out with a hold and earn campaign right now is like if you just you know convert uh buy or convert to usdc mm -hmm. then you basically get around up to around five percent um air worth of airdrops um in wow USDC. right it's pretty good i mean it's, mm -hmm. it's 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 competitive it's um and i think this it's what this is one of those products where if you're like you know we we want because we, because one of the the, the biggest challenging for crypto I think especially for countries like Philippines everybody's interested in it but you know a lot of times people don't have a lot of money available to basically go and buy it because they see it as a risky asset right yeah and, and having some kind of like a um, you know yield type of product is interesting but also I think we want to come out with um we want to come out with a spend and earn learn and earn like we want to come out with activities where you can actually if you just participate uh, in these nice. campaigns uh, we we want to give you an opportunity to earn crypto. Right, you can actually get your first 0 0.001 Bitcoin or your first, you know, 0 0.001 ETH 
mm-hmm. uh, in your wallet to see it by you know doing uh, transactions within coins or by doing you know learning activities through our marketing campaigns. So we want to bring a lot more campaigns uh, uh, into the Philippines where we want to give our users an ability to earn crypto. That is amazing. Again, super excited for that. And I know this is going to be an amazing uh, thing too. Again, Coins is the, the daddy of them all here in the crypto space. And again, it's not just crypto. It's fintech as a whole. Three, three fun- major functionalities in one. But again, um, Wei, if they want to reach out to you and yeah, collaborate and uh, work with you to get guys together, where do they go and how do they do that? Uh, yeah, uh, they can hit me up on Twitter. It's the Dow of Wei on Twitter. T h e d a o of o f w e i me on Twitter. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I, I generally screen my messages and I look at it. Uh, or they can go to our website and then send it through. Or uh, I'm on Telegram as well. It's just uh, w e i o n t g way on t g. So uh, and then my email is just pretty easy way at corn ph. So you know, no multiple outlets. <laughs> my API oh. is plugged in everywhere. <laughs> All right. Sounds yeah. good. Again, Wei, thank you very much. But before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any type of podcast app. And if we did say some jargon, it's going to be the show notes on hustleshare.com. And lastly, if you want to be part of the supporter community that we have on HustleShare, just go to premium.hustleshare.com. Again, Wei, thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Ron. All right, man. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace. 